Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Human Resources Talk, HR Talk. One of the boring, most boring topics you could ever think of, right? The most boring podcasts that are out there. But guess what? We've been doing it for years now. People love it still. It's it's amazing. And I'm going to tell you exactly why. I'm JC, co-host of the HR Talk podcast. And uh, Ricky Baez is the uh, other co-host of the program. Say hi, Rick. Hey, hello, everyone. We are the reason you tune in every week. We are the reason Duh. Human Resources is not boring anymore. We are the reason why you wake up and wave the flag in the morning and and you spend your time with us for anywhere from 45 to an hour, 45 or maybe three hours. If we think back, we did the Ricky Bias trilogy going back two years or so. That was a five-part miniseries. That was uh, seven hours documented. Uh, history and story of of Ricky Bias, the man, the myth, the legend. You can find that in the coffers. Uh, do you look back on that with fond memories, Rick? I do. Actually, I wanted to let you know that I I received the call from Netflix, and Shut they up. they no, dude, they gave me a call and they're like, hey, before you get any ideas, no, we're not interested. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. oh yeah. <laughs> they call me just to jump the gun and say, no, we're not interested in this. Don't even bother calling us. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's, I love uh, it. I love it. That's yeah, I great. look back at it. You know, it's a, it's a good documentation of, uh, of, of, of how I got into HR, how I got into the Marine Corps, and just life in general. We need to do one on you, man. Yeah, no. Uh, maybe in the future, one of these days when we have sponsors, when someone can come to the table and actually pay money to hear this story, then yeah. <laughs> but in the meantime, it. it's, it's not worth it. You know, okay. it's, it's too valuable. Hey, um, real quick, today we we are going to have a hot and heavy show. I have so many topics to discuss and cover. Ricky, there's so much going on with the EOC. There's title VII discussions to no, be had. Whoa, 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 there's whoa, whoa, also whoa. a guy named Kyle who recently got a job in HR, then got fired for things with a giraffe. Is <laughs> unbelievable stories <laughs> and crazy stuff happening. I'm ready to get into it right away. No, we can't. We can't get into that, brother. We we have a special guest on the show today, and it, it's let me tell you, I met this person. I met this person when I went over to Maryland to speak at the Waves of Change HR conference up in um, Oceanside, Oceanside, Ocean City, Ocean. What are the ocean places in Maryland? <laughs> um, I met him there. Yeah, Ocean what, Spray, Maryland. So ocean you were. <laughs> There you go. One of those ocean places, right? Um, actually, I was having a conversation with somebody about that that city. They were generally surprised that Maryland had a beach. And I'm like, why Why would you not think Maryland had a beach? Merlin. And that person, Merlin, they were saying, oh, we thought, I thought that place was more center of the United States. I'm like, no, obviously you failed uh, geography in class. So no, that's not the case. But yeah, man, um, uh, John Verico, let me tell you, man, I met this guy there. And one of the, what, what really impressed me about him is um, he does a lot of magic and he incorporates magic. Wait a Uh minute. Uh In a world where one man stepped up to the plate at the ocean spray conference. John Verco rode in on his white horse with information abound. And there was one man by his side on a tiny pony, Ricky Bias. <laughs> that poor pony. Let me tell you, because if they give me a pony for that, that pony is going to have to have a large workers' comp uh, um, a plan. No, look. You're so, too hard uh, on yourself. All right. So you met John, and John's a good man. Dude. 
Navy veteran, retired from the Navy, and all he does now, he consults with organizations to help their leadership just be better leaders. But he does it in a way, when he does these conferences, that he incorporates magic into it. Now, I doubt he uses the magic to consult with leaders, but at the very least, at the conference that I saw him in, I mean, he really captured the audience, and it was really fun. Oh. So, yeah, I invited him oh, on I the know, show. I know exactly how he does it. Look, mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to give away his secrets before we even get a chance to talk to him today. He he does the Jedi thing. He walks into the C-suite and he just puts his hand up like this (laughs) towards her face. You will now buy into my ideas. I will now buy into your ideas. And then boom, he's done. He's got, it's like magic. It's Jedi magic. Look, I'm going to tell you something. For this part of the program, compared to other times, I'm going to step back. I'm going to step back. I'm going to go on mute. I'm going to go off. I'm going to go offline. I'm going to listen in. Um, I want, I want you to talk to him one-on-one. Make, make this good, okay? Sound good? Oh, awesome. Let's do this. All right, and here we have John. John, sir, how are you today? I'm doing outstanding. You know, Ricky, if it were any better, I'd have to be twins in order to enjoy it. Uh, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> it means there's so much good stuff going on. I need to be two people. Uh, I see. I like that. Now, we were just talking a little bit before the show, and we're talking about the magic. JC and I were just talking about it. And you you, you kind of startled me for a second. What did you do? I want to explain what happened right before we started talking. <laughs> well, you know, you were talking about, you know, magic and the element of surprise, right? And so all I did was just kind of, you know, pop a little quick ball of fire out of it. And you did it again! <laughs> you did it again! <laughs> oh, God, and folks, I really wish you could see... Uh, I really wish I could be videotaping this and recording this on video because it just every time he brings up his hand, this ball of fire comes out. And it's not a Zoom filter. You really have fire coming out of your hands, don't you? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's... <laughs> It's, you know, not a hot fire or, you know, that'd be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, a, not, not, not smart like cold fire, right? Because exactly, that's intelligent. Exactly. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> awesome. But no, but- it, you're right. Yeah, there's no, there's no filter here. This, oh. is, this is not special. This is not, uh, you know, special effects and that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Well, John, you know what? I did a really horrible job introducing you. Why don't you let the audience know exactly who you are? Well, my name is John Verico. Most people call me by my first name, That Damn. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm up here in uh, York, Pennsylvania. Just uh, just uh, moved up to this area here not too long ago and, and really enjoying it. But I am a leadership and communication coach and trainer um, building off of a 40-year career, 40-year career, wow. which I say out loud and makes me feel ancient because, you know, that's like, you know, only grand people do that you know <laughs> right um but off of a 40-year career in the military and in uh state and federal government services uh as a communication professional nice and so i was a public affairs specialist um and i was training people on uh, being ready for media interviews for communicating issues to the workforce uh all that kind of stuff and so that's been my my entire career and i've built off of that uh into understanding how to help people become better communicators which makes them be better leaders and makes for a better overall motivated workforce and so i've kind of kind of you know my career has kind of evolved in that route so um so i do workshops and and training and uh individual coaching and all kinds of fun like that travel around the world doing it 
Nice. And I met you at the Waves of Change um, HR conference over in Southern Maryland a few weeks ago. That was in, is it Ocean City or Oceanside? I forgot. It was Ocean City, Maryland. Ocean City, yeah, Maryland. That's what it was. There. Yes, because it was a, a three, two and a half day event, right? And you was there on the first day. That was the day that I was just coming into town. I didn't get to see your presentation at the beginning, but I got a chance to spend some time with you at dinner and then again at happy hour. That, that wasn't even, a, that was a happy evening. Because it went it's well beyond an hour, <laughs> and then we started talking, and it's I'm just fascinated by your story, right? Because um, I heard you did some magic, and I saw a little bit of magic that uh, uh, that night, and then right now, but then I got talking to you, and you you've you spent a lot of time in the military, and it's I love the way. I mean, we're not going to have time today. We may need to do like a four part. Uh, a mega series talking about your military service and the Navy and then getting out. But I really want to capture what was it about the military, having a great career in the military that kind of pushed you into the space where now you're consulting with business leaders. You know, that is a, a just so such a perfect way of saying it too. When I first joined the Navy, it was because I didn't have a whole lot of direction in my life, right? I could not, I couldn't get up in the morning. I didn't have, you know, I just, I was one of those guys. And, uh, and so I, I was 23 at that point, you know, so I'm not like, I'm not like one of those guys that went into officer school or anything yeah. either. I was enlisted from the get go, but I, I realized I needed some discipline in my life. So my, my point of joining them in the Navy in the first place was to get myself on a schedule to get myself feeling more responsible um, to have that that discipline but I didn't want to I didn't want to be I wouldn't want to you know run through the mud and all that kind of stuff so you know Marine Corps like you I, I you know <laughs> I appreciate your service dude but I couldn't do it uh, same thing with Neither Army. Can I. It's okay. uh, I'm, a, I'm afraid of heights so I didn't want to go Air Force you know so I wound up well I could swim so I'll do Navy and so that's okay got I it. wound up <laughs> That's how I wound up there. Um, but my goal was I wanted to be a journalist. Um, I had done some freelance uh, journalism and stuff in the outside. And I found that there actually was a career opportunity in the military. And I said, well, let's give it a try. And so when I, the first thing I noticed when I got there was, you know, your, your perspective of a journalist is very, very different. Yeah. It's not just writing articles or, or even doing like the evening newscast on board the ship. It's all of it. It's every aspect of communication you can possibly imagine. Okay. And I said, this is amazing. This is the only place on the planet where you're going to get this breadth of experience in a very short time. Got so it. when I was on, the, on my Navy ship, I ran two TV stations, two radio stations. I did the evening newscast. I did a shipboard newspaper. I did a monthly newsletter that went home to the families. I did press releases to the, to the press. I did media interviews. Wow. I responded to uh, media queries. I prepared people to give speeches. I wrote speeches for the senior leadership. I was the ship's photographer. Uh, wow. When the ship pulled into port, I set up, you know, community visits for the commanding officer and tours for people to come and visit the ship and learn about the Navy. It, every aspect of communication you can possibly imagine was involved there. And a lot of it included things like training and helping people prepare for public speaking to prepare for a media interview to prepare for one of those, hey, dudes, we're going to war kind of speeches to the troops. And so wow. all of those kinds of things were part of my job. And I was a staff of one. You, you didn't have a team. This is just you. This was me, a staff wow. of one. Okay. 
And I did all of those things. And I, and I, I said, this is amazing because the, like I said, the breadth of experience that you can get, but here was the key about the military as you are going, you know, you're, you're doing all these functions and they put all this responsibility on you. There's a lot of trust in there. And we're going to get to that in a moment, why trust is so important. Um, There's a lot of trust in, 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 they rely on you to do your job and they put a lot of responsibility on you. Yeah. Then they give you that opportunity to grow. Right. And the big key about the military is, is the respect that you get and is respect that is, that is inherent in the organizational structure, but there's also respect that you get just from people on the outside because you took the, you know, wore the uniform. Yeah. Yeah. But the big thing also is that um, there's there's a big element of communication and leadership and understanding how to treat each other in the military. You are not taught to you know promote yourself. Right. It's not about you. Mm-hmm. It is about everybody else. And at every stage in the military, at every, you know, every incremental promotion, you get pulled out of work. You go to training on how to be a leader at that new level. And most of the time you get assigned to a new place because they don't want the old troops to look at you you as the old rank, right? So they send you to a new location and a new command. So now you're a second class petty officer instead of a third class petty officer, or now you're looked at as a chief petty officer, a whole new perspective. You come in fresh and you're looked at by, you know, by, by your rank. And then you, you, you are, are, are treated that way. So it's, it's an absolute amazing concept that they're continuously treating, teaching you how to be a better leader. And all of that leadership training was focused on taking care of the troops, yeah. taking care of other people. And the core understanding that I got out of that was none of this is about me. Yep. Yep. We succeed when the people we're responsible for succeed. Right. No, there's no one winner on the battlefield. Gosh, right. 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 So nothing, it's not a competition because there can only be one winner. It's about success because we can all go together. Right. So the whole thing is we bring people together and we all move forward. And so this was a concept that really, really, you know, really spoke to me. And, um, you know, a little very, very briefly, because I know we don't have a lot of time today, but very, very briefly, I was a small kid in, in high school. Okay. I started life, you know, I was five foot three, weighed 110 pounds when I graduated high school at, at you know, at the age of 18. Now, you've seen me. I am I am not 108, 110 pounds anymore. You, you know? and I are a little bit similar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've, I've, I've evolved into this double X Adonis that I am in my later <laughs> life, you know. Got it. I'm going to use um, that from now on. Double X Adonis. <laughs> I'm going to get a T-shirt that says that. All right. Well, you know, you're going to have to pay me every time you use it. I'm oh, gonna, yeah. 10%. Uh, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, being the small kid, I was kind of kind of picked on and, and, you know, by the bullies and stuff like that. And, and I didn't feel like I mattered. Mm. When I was in the military, I realized that not only did I matter, but that each, every individual mattered. And it was really important for every individual to realize how they mattered and where, what they contributed to the team. And that got people inspired to, to stay motivated. Mm. And so all of that spoke to me. And so that is how, you know, as I evolved through my career, you know, I started off with, with no, you know, no troops. It was just me doing everything. And then, you know, I evolved to positions where I was in charge of 140 people. 
Wow. And it was still the same, same thing, right? It's not about you. It's yep. about them. It's about helping those other folks. And so um, I, I took all of that to heart and I saw, you know, as we go through life, we meet people of who have different types of personalities and yep. different ways of working. And, you know, you've got good bosses and bad bosses. And I looked at those people that were good bosses. And those were the ones that motivated me, inspired me. They trusted me. They gave me opportunity. They respected me. They communicated with me. They treated me with humanity. Hmm. Those were the people that I wanted to emulate. There you go. And I took those, those elements. Uh, and, and that now has become my moniker, right? The way I treat people, the way I want to be treated is that with trust, opportunity, respect, communication, and humanity. And that is actually torch that is the acronym for torch which is what I like what i teach about lighting the fire and keeping that torch burned in other people let me it's something you just said that really really resonated with me you said that when you saw those types of leadership and it 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 kind of it resonated with you you said that is the kind of leadership you want to emulate and I, I want to harp on that, John, because this is something that a lot of people in leadership positions today maybe not understand, that the type of leadership they show and people see, that is the type of leadership either they want to emulate or they say, That's, when, when I get to that level, I'm not going to do that. Because so many examples. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. That happened We've to all me. Had those. That happened to me. I used to work for an organization that a long time ago that I saw some leadership that I'm like, oh, now I know what not to do. So sometimes being in a crappy situation is a really good lesson if you put it to use. Every one of my bad bosses has been a fabulous teacher for me. Look at that. Look at that. And, and you have to be able to recognize that, right? Instead of being pissed off and, and angry at the situation you're going through, you've got to take a look at it as a lesson, right? Well, you know, let me, let me, uh, let me step back okay. to my first day on board my very first ship in the Navy. Okay. You go on board, right? And like in any organization, you meet your immediate supervisor. You meet, you know, maybe that person's boss. and So you meet everybody up your chain of command, right? And so as a brand new, you know, fresh out of school, fresh out of boot camp sailor coming on board the ship, I go and I meet my, uh, my, my leading petty officer, my chief petty officer, my division officer, department head, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Going all the way up. Everybody's very welcoming, you know, uh, all this kind of stuff. Even the commanding officer. Hey, Seaman Verico, have a seat. You don't sit down in front the of the commanding officer. officer? Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> have a seat. Nice to meet you. Where are you coming from? You know, it was like they treated you like a human being. Everybody except the executive officer, mm. the XO of the ship. Oh, the second in command. Okay. He kept me standing at attention. Huh. While he was looking at my service record, which was, you know, two pages at that point, you know, boot camp <laughs> in A school. Right. right? And so. He said, he's looking at this thing and he looks at me and he goes, a bleeping journalist, huh? Oh. What the hell am I supposed to do with a journalist on board this ship? Wow. And I'm like, well, sir, the Navy says you get a journalist on board here. So here I am. Don't you give me any of your lips, son? <laughs> we used to have a journalist on board this ship. We, we've been doing fine. 18 months ago, we, kicked, we got rid of him. Oh, wow. Okay. We've been doing fine without a journalist for 18 months. What do you think you're going to bring here? Well, sir, I was assigned here. 
Do you know what happened to our last journalist, Simon Verico? No, sir. We kicked his ass out of the Navy. I'm like, oh my god. What is and you know great orientation. Yeah, and don't you give me any of your, you know, defense information school communication training BS because I have a degree in communication. Ah, uh, here we go. Got it. So what did he tell me? What what did he just communicate to me, right? He said nothing you ever do is going to please me. Yeah, pretty much. Right? And how am I supposed to be motivated to work for this guy? Yeah. Well, you know, interestingly, in retrospect, and there's a, there's a whole story, and we could talk like for like an hour about Commander Kaufman and his and his uh, his, uh, his 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 uh, subsequent you know the guy who replaced yeah. him, uh, Commander Jennings, who was completely the opposite side of the spectrum. Uh, but in a nutshell, in retrospect, I look back at 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 this commander's technique and his methodology was to challenge you to try to please him. He uh, wanted you, he, his methodology was to challenge you to keep doing better. Now, for some people, that might have worked. For me, I was like, why should I bother to yeah, try? Yep. Because this guy is not going to be happy. Yeah. When Commander Jennings came in, he had a completely different focus. And he was like, hey, I want to I'm proactive. I want to do all this stuff. And, you know, let's I'm, I'm you're the you're the journalist. So I'm going to trust, you know, what you're doing and you just keep me informed. Completely different kind of perspective. Who did I work harder for? I worked harder for Commander Jennings yeah. because he trusted me and I did not want to betray that trust. And there was the key. So those were the kinds of things. And then I had an immediate supervisor. My, my chief petty officer was just amazing, you know, all kinds of great stuff. And I got lots of good stories. But basically what it came down to is that, you know, you get those bad examples of leadership or a leadership style that may be effective, but not one that is going to work for your personality mm. or not one that you see the benefit of. So I chose to emulate the leadership style of Commander Jennings rather than the leadership style of Commander Kaufman. I did not see any reason to be abrasive and abusive and to, to try to challenge somebody to work hard when they feel there's no, there's no hope there. Yeah. Where Commander Jennings says, I trust you're going to do a good job, and I, and I know that you're going to prove that to me. <laughs> I mean, what does that do, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I've, I, it, he's trusting me with this, with, 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 with this uh, position, with this responsibility. I'm not going to let him down. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly that what it. happened there. So, yeah. so you've done that for years. So you've had years and years and years of leadership examples in the military, different theaters. So now you're out, right? And now, how do you how do you go from having that great career in media in the uh, in the in the military, which essentially you're running the communications department, you're setting up all these different things that report that you go to. You was the photographer, like you say, you was the army of one. I mean, I know Navy, but still, he was the army of one in the <laughs> so, Navy. So, so we got you. <laughs> you get what I'm saying. So then you get out, and now you're consulting with leaders, right? How do you take that experience from the military and convert it to civilian life? Because you know, it's I don't have to tell you, but for the people listening, you know, a failure in leadership in the military has completely different ramifications than failure in leadership in corporate America. One of them, lives are at stake, and the other one, not so much. But how do you translate the, those experiences? So what's at stake then is livelihoods. 
Mm. Right. Okay. So, so there's, the, you know, we consider obviously, you know, the potential loss of life as you know, kind of the ultimate motivator. Right. Mm. But for, for corporate, for, for, let's say a corporate exec, in their mind, because, you know, perhaps death is not necessarily on the table, but loss of business, you know, uh, not making that bottom line failure of your company. Those are in their mind just as equivalent, a disaster. Mm. And so in that, in, you know, coming at it from that perspective, it's very easy to make that translation, you know, either way, no matter what, we're trying to avoid dire consequences. Mm. No matter, and the and the, the the amount of dire, you know, it's it's subjective. Got it. <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm sure it would be right, but it's. But you you and you know. It, it, can I add to that for yeah, just a second yeah, too? Yeah, yeah. The one of the reasons why I, I spent most of my career on the government side of of the world mm-hmm. rather than going to corporate America is that I didn't see my putting effort forth to put money in the pockets of some CEO. I didn't, you know, my goal in life was not to make, you know, the, the corporate exec at Coca-Cola or whatever, you know, more rich mm. or have somebody, somebody else, you know, drive a Jaguar yeah. or even me drive a Jaguar yeah. in, in the government. I felt like there was a more, realistic cause. Like I worked for the Maryland department of natural resources, right? So we were out there, you know, helping people to, to relate to and understand the wildlife and the natural resources around them. I worked for the department of environment, which talked, you know, which kind of helped people from, Hey, let's not contaminate uh, our, our, our water supply and things like that. Important stuff. I worked for Homeland security was, you know, one of the, one of the organizations that I consider has one of the most important missions. Yeah. Um, you know, keeping us safe from all sorts of disasters, right. whether they're man-made or natural. And let's, you know, just drop all the politics of border crap or any of that. Yeah. I mean, but the ultimate mission was there. And so I felt that in those kinds of positions, what I did mattered and made a difference for more people rather than financial. And that I think is crucial, right? Because if people or if organizations, let me just focus on businesses first, if they focus on just a profit first, but, but okay, so let's pause real quick, right? So let's talk about the profit piece, right? You are, it, you're a for-profit organization. I am a for-profit organization. Well, hold on. I'm speaking for you. I'm assuming you're a for-profit organization, right? <laughs> okay. I, so, so let's put it this way. When okay. I'm working with a group, right? Yeah. And is that one person in the room that gets that little glint in their eye that says that I've struck home with a point and I've yeah. helped them overcome a problem yeah. or whatever. There's my reward. There my go. reward is actually helping somebody else to also succeed and achieve. And I know it sounds cheesy, but that's actually, I've realized that that's what drives me. Yeah. Okay. Now I would do this stuff for free, but I have become accustomed to a few minor luxuries like food and shelter. <laughs> So I had to, I have to charge and I have to become a for-profit organization. In order How to dare that. you, John? How dare you get caught up in the whole machine of food and shelter? Man. You know? <laughs> Awesome. A little selfish bone in there, you know? <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, you do have to live, right? I mean, that 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 needs to happen. But you're, 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 you're touching on a really good point. Yes, it, if you focus on checking the box to make more money, you're going to get different results than if you focus on actually affecting change. 
right? And and now I'm not saying one is better than the other. It depends on what you want out of this relationship you have with a client. Because from my perspective, I subscribe to your notion, right? I, yes, I mean, I could do this for free because I love it. I, I enjoy it. But like you, I need shelter. I need food. Maybe a little bit less food than I'm currently consuming right now. But that's neither here nor there. That's another show. But what I'm saying. world problem. <laughs> first, right? <laughs> so what I'm saying is it's, it's, it's you and I are from the same cloth where as long as we get up on stage, it's, it's you know, I use that term, you know, right. with, with air quotes. And we're able to affect some kind of change. That's what motivates me. And. I see that happening with you because when I met you a couple of weeks ago, even even I didn't get to see your part of the presentation at the beginning, but I got to really connect with you, get to understand where you're from, what you do for a living. You was capturing that audience both at the dinner table, at the bar <laughs> later, the next morning when I was presenting. It, so this is part of your DNA makeup. Here's my question for you. How do you get leaders in corporate America to kind of follow that same kind of leadership mentality? That way they can get their employees to follow them because of influence, not fear. Well, that is an excellent question. So the whole got, the whole thing here is understanding what is the motivation of the, the leader of that organization, right? Most likely they want to continue the, the success of their business, which incorporates their bottom line, which incorporates, which means money. Right. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, they need people. Mm -hmm. They need people to do the work. There was a great book out a number of years ago called uh, the employee comes second. Oh, I'm, I'm okay. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm saying the customer comes second. Boy, I messed that one. Up. The customer. Because <laughs> I'm like, customer, wow, I got to read that one. <laughs> you know, no, it's the customer comes second. Got now, it. everybody's always said, you know, customer comes first, you know, mm -hmm. because it's all about customer service because that gives you your reputation. People are going to buy from you. You get good customer service. That's great. But that's not true because the employee has to come first yeah. because the employee is your front line. The employee is doing the work. The employee is meeting with your customers. The employee is, is your representative to your brand. Mm. If your employees aren't happy, you don't have business. Mm. When I go to a restaurant, I don't care how good the food is. That food could be, you know, the best on the planet. But if the service sucks, I'm not going back there. Yeah, that's a good point. And I can go to another restaurant where the food, the product is only mediocre but the service, the representative of that company makes me feel important, right? As a customer, I'm going to keep going back there. So, so as, a, as a CEO or, or wherever in charge of an organization, understand that your employees are your representation. Yep. Your employees are the key to whether or not your business succeeds. If you can't keep your employees motivated, happy, engaged, it's, you're going to fail. Yeah. That's right. And so there's that is how, you know, I address it when I'm working with with companies or any other organization is understanding that, you know, you have to have it's not a big kumbaya thing. We're not all going to sit around the campfire. We're not going to all like <laughs> go to each other's kids weddings and stuff. We're not necessarily going to be buddy buddy. But for crying out loud, people need to feel like they what they do, what they do matters. And you kind of touched on that a little bit before earlier. Right. If you as an employee or anywhere else, if you don't feel like what you do makes a difference, why are you going to do it? Yeah, that's right. And that's really what it comes down to. And it's not necessarily that grandioso saving the world kind of making the difference. Yeah. It's, you know, just little things. 
uh, making a difference might be that, you know, I just put somebody into the car of their dreams. Uh, making a difference might be that, you know, somebody just uh, enjoyed a, a really good meal. Maybe you know, that difference could be anything, but making, feeling like what you just did, the thing I just spent my time on, did it make a difference for somebody else, for me, for whatever? Did it matter? There is a, a fantastic analogy that I love to, to refer to. And I know you've heard of the starfish on the beach thing, yep, right? I have. Yeah. And, it, and, and, and I'll, I'll reiterate it briefly here, you know, just for the listeners who may not. But, you know, there's just picture this. There's a, a little boy on the beach and there's thousands of starfish that have been washed up onto the beach. And this little boy goes over and starts, he looks at this, this massive starfish and he, he knows they're going to dry out and die if they stay on the sand. So he reaches down and starts picking them up and throwing them one at a time back into the sea. Well, this old guy comes walking by and he's looking at this kid and he's like, oh, you know, that's really sweet, kid. But look, dude, you're not going to make a difference here. You know, you can't possibly look at the thousands of them. Why are you wasting your time doing this? You, You cannot make a difference here. And the kid reaches down, picks up another starfish, throws it in the sea and goes, I made a difference for that one. I love that story. <laughs> now, now there's another element to that. And I don't know if you heard the continuation of that story. I don't think I have. After, after watching this for a while, the old man decides to reach down and pick up starfish and, and also throw one back. And then others see this going yep. on. And then that. next thing you know, more people come onto the beach and they're all now throwing starfish back into the sea. Mm-hmm. So that one little boy not only made a difference for a single starfish at a time, but now that's been multiplied how, by how many you know, times? All more people coming out and doing that. And so understand going back to you know, what we were talking about earlier about the boss and how they influence us and all that stuff. And we choose the behaviors we want to emulate and all those good things. Remember that your actions have reactions, right? So everything you do, somebody is noticing that and you're making a difference for somebody else. And so if... If there's a homeless guy on the street and you stop and hand that guy a buck, chances are somebody who's observed you doing that might do the same thing. That's true. If you just, you know, snarl at the guy and keep on walking, chances are others around there might do that. Now, somebody else might go, boy. You know, he, you were a jerk just walking by <laughs> this guy. Now, I'm going to go and give you two bucks because he was an idiot. I'm usually that guy, right? Yeah. You know, so if I find, a, you know, there's a, way, a waiter or a waitress at a restaurant or whatever, they didn't get a good tip from somebody from another table. You know, I'll double my tip just yeah. to, to make me feel better, you know. But. <laughs> so, no, oh, I completely get that. It's, so it's, it's, if you're, whatever you're putting out there, people are going to emulate it one way or the other. That poor kid, I'm sure he didn't get paid for uh, for how much we're talking about him right now back in the day. Right? <laughs> no, but you know what? Let me ask you this, John, because you know what? It's I agree with what you're saying, and, and uh, it's you and I are on the same side when it comes to that camp, but what do you tell those CEOs who say, you know what, John, that's all fine and dandy. I'm not going to do that lovey-dovey crap. These employees should be happy they have a job here. They just do the job or go somewhere else. What do you tell CEOs who have that kind of mentality? You know, it's so amazing because you do kind of hear that from time to time, right? They can just go somewhere else. They don't have to work here. Well, that's true. But when they, when they leave, they take attitude with them, 
right? Mm. So now they've left. They got a bad taste in their mouth about your company. What do they think they're going to tell? What do you think they're going to tell other people about your company? Mm. What do you think they're going to tell other people about you? So when you try to recruit a new employee and there's something out there on social media, say, don't work for this guy, right? <laughs> or whatever. I mean, there's so many repercussions that that could happen. So, and that whole thing about, yeah, sure. They can go work somewhere else. So that tells me you don't care about your employees, right? So now this guy's starving on the street. Maybe, maybe that former employee is that homeless guy on the mm. street now that you caused to happen. Mm. Right. So, the 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 reper- and you don't care right you don't care because you're the boss and your company's still doing fine without that guy yeah and all that stuff where are you going to find your next employee now you got to train somebody all over again yeah. you got somebody who's already on board they know your company now they know your company secrets maybe they go to another company and they're successful but they're successful because they brought your company secrets look at that Look you know, going that. back to that, and, and again, let's go back to that that book. And I'm not like promoting this book, but I mean, it's, there's some, some stuff in it too. That book about the customer comes second. The same thing was take care of your take care of your employees, and they'll take care of your customers. Don't take care of your employees; they'll take your customers. And how many times you hear about you know, like like in the advertising world, right? You know, some com- some some uh, advertise. You know, somebody's working for an ad agency. And uh, and they get disgruntled and they leave and go to another company. Well, they take the clients yeah, with them. They do. They I just take took the whole the books account away from you, right? <laughs> yeah. But also think about it too. I have followed, and not as a stalker, I have followed like <laughs> hairstylists or or waitstaff or bartenders or whatever to different places of business. Because I wanted to, I wanted their service. I didn't want, I didn't want the, you know, Schmuckatelli hair salon. I wanted specifically Sarah to cut my hair. Dude. So when Sarah <laughs> left and went to another place, I went with her. You're touching on a nerve here because you're a thousand percent correct. And people make fun of me when I followed my my the, my my barber from one shop to the other, and and the server too because I had this one server who was freaking amazing. What I appreciated above and beyond the food that I was getting is the service that I got. As soon as I got there, as soon as we got there, she knew what my wife wanted, what my kid wanted, what I wanted. It was awesome. Was the food amazing? No. Was the service great? Absolutely. She yes. left that restaurant to go to another. We started to go into another restaurant next thing you know we have another restaurant that we've that we frequent and dude you're a hundred percent right so that just hit me right now <laughs> sorry <laughs> but, but, but that's exact that is yeah. exactly it and why why do you consider that's that service special because they know you yep. they get you they made you feel like you matter that's right that is right so you know, I've just we just moved here to York, Pennsylvania, as I was telling you, we've been trying the local restaurants. Mm-hmm. There's now several of them. We walk in and some of them even know our names. Mm-hmm. Hi, John. Hi, Bonnie. How you doing? You know, water, iced tea. Here we go. Boom. Um, and some of the places, you know, we've gone to over the years, too. It's like, oh, how hungry are you tonight? <laughs> That's the only question. And then they bring stuff. Right. They know what we like. They know they know I don't do gluten. Right. Yeah. So. Oh, John, you don't want to order that. That's got gluten. Or better yet, you know what? You don't want to order that tonight. It's not so tasty. Try this other thing instead. Ah. You don't get that, you know, in a standard customer yeah. service relationship, right? It's just it just doesn't happen. No, it, 
it, it's so that that just resonated with me right now because you and I had that conversation also back over in 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 Maryland about in Ocean City, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. In, in, <laughs> I figured let me just stick to the state, <laughs> and I remember the city. <laughs> I'll be okay, right? No, yeah, because it's it's it, it's what you and I were talking about, and 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 Aaron is exactly this. If you take care of what's important to the employees, the right employees are going to take care of what's important to you. And the key word in there is the right employees because in that whole it's a process in that whole process you're going to find out which employees belong there and which employees do not belong there and what i like to tell that's a good that's a good piece yeah i like to tell leaders to not don't be afraid of that part don't be afraid of weeding out the people who don't belong there it doesn't have to be a negative experience it could be an enlightening experience having a conversation with an employee to say look Maybe your skill set doesn't belong here. It's not that you're not smart, and just hear me out here. It's not that you're not smart. It's that you're not motivated, right? Because I don't believe there are geniuses, and I don't believe there are people that are dumb. I, I believe there are people who are really motivated about something and people who are really not. So you have to find that motivation factor and put that influence where it belongs to that person can either stay there and improve or go somewhere else and flourish, so we 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 had that conversation that that conversation. That's why I'm like, I got to get John on the show. And dude, here you, and you are. You know what's interesting? <laughs> you know what's interesting about that? Sometimes that go somewhere else and flourish is still within your organization. It could be True. just with a different function. Yes. And that was something else we got out of the military, right? You, you get an opportunity to to branch out and try a bunch of different things. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, yeah, Whether that, you like them or not, hundred percent true. I mean, there were there were you know there. All right, on board a Navy ship. Let's be honest. It doesn't matter who you are. At some point, you're picking up a a, a mop, right? And of course. you're going to swab the decks. <laughs> of course. At some point, you know, you're going to have a collateral duty that's going to be in charge of changing the filters in the, you know, in the air. Well, so, I don't know. It was that was in the Navy because as a Marine, when I was on board a Navy ship, all I know, whenever I heard General Quarters, General Quarters, I just went to my rack. <laughs> as a marine we had nothing to do with that now you guys are running around doing all these crazy things right and we're like eh, well that doesn't pertain to us let's work out on need some more i mean that's what we did so you know what help me out general quarters what does that mean general quarters is battle stations oh that's what it meant oh got it well as a marine yep. on ship we don't have much to do there because we just got to wait till we go on land we gotta wait till we a- get ashore so we can we can get you guys safely on the ground <laughs> You know, so you can go do your thing. Dude, look, I know, I know there's a lot of jokes back and forth between people in the Navy and the Marine Corps. But let me tell you, folks, um, if you've ever been on a naval ship, if you've ever been in a submarine, there is no joking. Those are some hard working people. Yeah, absolutely. And then when I was, um, we were in in Haifa, Israel, and we were able to actually, oh, dude, yeah, we, back then, that was 98, 99. I still got some shekels. Oh, you're such a baby. (laughs) <laughs> dude yeah okay we also had that conversation because when you told me your age i'm like there's no way no way dude you look like you're my age but anyway i'm not gonna go there um dude so i actually went into uh into a sub where they allowed us to go in and then check it out and i was surprised to see it wasn't like you see on tv right it was it was more office-like than it was that crazy, dark, red, all the time steel there. That's still there. But one thing that I've learned, that the most important person on a submarine is not the commanding officer, it's not the executive officer, it's, it's not even the weapons officer, it's the chef. And 
that <laughs> baffled me, right? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, how is the head cook the most important person on the ship? Because unlike, because like the CEO, that one person can affect the morale of the ship with just one meal. <laughs> just got one it. meal. Absolutely. It's it's one person cannot have that much power. I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> it cannot happen, especially on a naval submarine that has nuclear warheads. <laughs> yeah, the last thing you want is a bunch of disgruntled people. I know, dude. <laughs> dude, and you know what? People make fun of cooks. Let me tell you that they are responsible for the morale of the ship, of the unit, because you give them good food, man, you're going to have some fighting people. If you give them crappy food, you're also going to get some fighting people, but not the fighting you want. It's fighting yeah, with yeah, each exactly. other. <laughs> and so, you know, and that's, you bring up a really good point there. And that is, there's that, another thing too. People in executive positions yeah. seem to look down their nose at, at others who are in more menial jobs, yeah. right? Um, there's this, there's this like class bias thing, right? Oh, you're, you're manual labor. Without those other folks, try having a good life. <laughs> what happens what happens when your trash doesn't get picked up mm-hmm. what happens when the bus boy doesn't clean the table table properly in between customers you know you think about all of those different things every single person matters that's right everybody has something to contribute and if they do it well everything else can go well if they screw it up it can really destroy everything else so I treat a janitor like a CEO. That's right. But I also treat a CEO like a janitor. That's right. <laughs> that is 100% true. Yes. You know, and that's the no matter who it is, you treat them as a human being and a fellow individual. And that, you know, I think we chatted a little bit about this. When we meet people, we tend to Human nature is to look at somebody and see the differences between us. Mm-hmm. What we need to do is look at the commonalities between us and the hell with everything else. That's right. Skin tone, religion, size, waistline. I'm going to go there. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, age, gender, none of it makes the slightest bit of difference. I guarantee we've got something in common. With every individual on the planet. I think the opposite is true, though, don't you think? Because I I agree with you, right? It's we have to find what we have in common. But I also appreciate what we don't have in common because that's something that maybe Uh I'm not familiar with, right? And if I have that open mind or I teach leaders to have that open mind, because, look, it's if 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 a leader puts a team together with people that are like that leader, you're not going to be efficient. No. So. You have to act and you have to work and you have to lead in a way to where you're able to learn or bring people on board that has the opposite skill set as you. Whatever your area of opportunity is, that it has to be their strength. So I see it that way as well. And that's why yeah, I like to yeah. look at those differences and bring people on board. Is that what you teach the, uh, the uh, leaders in the uh, corporate America? Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Because the whole thing is... Yeah, you don't want a bunch of yes people. That's right. Right. You don't want a bunch of like, you know, people who think the same because you need fresh ideas and perspectives. The when I say we look, we have to look at our commonalities, find those common connections. That's to make the connection. 
but when yeah. we're bringing teams together, we need people who can do multiple stuff. You don't, you don't have a team full of all quarterbacks. That's right. right. Because you'll never, you'll never get anywhere. So, so the whole thing is, yes, you want the diversity. You, so you find the commonalities so that you're driving in the same direction. That's right. Now we're driving in the same direction. What do we each bring to the table? Right. You've got you got somebody who's behind the wheel. You got somebody who's reading the map. Right. You got somebody who's picking out the restaurant. We're reading the map. The way. Where are we in 1998? What do you all mean? Right, map quest? Right. Somebody who's <laughs> plugging into the. Navigation system. <laughs> I had to give you a hard time for that. Come on. But no, it's so true. But but that's the whole thing. You want to have different perspectives. So there's this and it's hard to do this. Uh, I could try to do this as an illustration. Mm-hmm. And I'll try to do this as a verbal illustration. Okay. There's a box. And in this box is a thing. And you don't know what is in that box, but you're going to treat that box based on what you think is in there, right? Okay. Okay. Now, you're the leader of an organization. You've got one hole in the box in the top of the box. You look down into that hole. What you see is a round shape. Okay. So now in your mind, this box has in it a ball okay, or a globe or sphere, something round. You're going to to treat this item as if something in there is round. Okay. Okay. You're going to, you know, when you, when you're sorting items or, you know, you're sorting your, 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 your stock, whatever you're going, this, there's a ball in this box. Now the, the workforce frontline folks, they have a different perspective. They've got a hole in the side of the box. And when they look through that hole, what they see is a triangle. So in their mind, this box contains a triangular object, okay. a pyramid, you know, something along those lines, something with sharp points. And so when they categorize things or when they treat the box or when they handle this, this, this merchandise, they're treating it in that perspective. It's only when the, the, the frontline guy and the boss talk to each other. Look say, hey, I see something round. <laughs> I see something triangular. When you come together and you see both perspectives, you realize that what's in there is a cone. Look at that. Well, I mean, it, so it, 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 it's, it's you have <laughs> to have you have to have different perspectives, different way of looking at, at things uh, to understand the whole picture in your organization. And now that you got a cone, now you can go get a scoop of ice cream and it's time to have party. See, now <laughs> we're talking. Now we're talking, right? Well, and you know, always back to food, right? <laughs> and 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 how is that CEO going to make that situation better? Sprinkles, come on, yeah. bring it <laughs> there over, <you> go. <laughs> bring it there over. You go. No, but that is a great point there, John. Right? Because it's the CEO that leader got there because of his or her skill set. But you got to be humble to know, or or you have to lead in a humble type of way to know that you don't have the best perspective. You don't have the only perspective. There are other perspectives that you have to take into account. Now, that said, that said, with with everything happening in this world today, John, you know, it's 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 June already, 2022. The great resignation is a phrase that I'm tired of hearing these. I'm tired of hearing the great resignations as much as I'm tired of hearing, hey, you're on mute, right? I'm tired. I'm tired of hearing all that <laughs> stuff. Right? It's too much. But just me being tired of it doesn't stop it from happening. What do you tell that CEO that's worried about losing people? What do you tell that CEO that refuses 
to invest in their people out of fear that they're going to be a part of that great resonation and they're not going to get any return on investment in that kind of investment, if that makes sense. (laughs) So really what it comes down to is which way are you willing to gamble? Right. If, if you don't invest, if you don't treat people, uh, if you don't acknowledge what people need in order to function, you're going to lose them. Mm-hmm. You're, if you want to keep good people, you've got to treat them well. You, it doesn't mean you've got to you know, drop everything and go, oh, my God, OK, fine. You can just work from home for the rest of your life and all. You know, there's, there's some things you need to be able to do. There's got to be a balance there. But you have to be open to having a balance. There's got to be a little give and take. If, if you've got a good employee who's a good producer and you want to keep them, you've got to make accommodations for them. That doesn't mean you give away the farm, Yeah. but there's got to be, there's got to be a little bit of balance at the same time as an employee, you have to make some serious considerations. It's not all about you either. There you go. Because if you want to go and jump through and jump and look for something else, um, you know, how difficult is that really going to be? Do you really want to start over someplace all over again? Can you make your situation work out well for you? You know, a little bit, a little bit of give and take. The whole thing is too. why did you take a position in the first place? Uh-huh. Did you like what you were doing? Did you, did you want to do that kind of a job? Um, do you enjoy the work? Do you have good camaraderie with your other, with, with your fellow workers? Is that a comfortable work environment? Are you willing to leave that? to try to go someplace else, start off fresh and maybe have a whole different kind of environment that might not work out as well. Maybe there is an opportunity to go someplace. The whole, the whole, that, you know, the grass is greener on the other side kind of thing. Right. But it never really, it never really, really is. But there's a lot of consideration that has to be taken into an employee staying or leaving an organization. And I think a lot of it comes down to consideration of the the individual and the value boom and it's not just value to the bottom line right so well that value to the bottom line honestly it should it should be secondary right because whatever energy you put into it it's got to be to the tools and the mechanisms in place to make sure you do have that value at the bottom line but if your main focus is to value at the bottom line with nothing else into consideration you're not going to get to the place where you want to get to Right? Yeah. That, that's why that value-added proposition at the end of the day has to be a byproduct of whatever passion you put in your employees. So, John, look, man, we could be passion. here forever. We could be here for 10 hours talking about this, man. So, look, it, it's for everybody out there listening. How, they, how can they get a hold of you? How can they call you and say, man, I really would like for him to come to our organization and speak on that? What's the best way for everybody to reach you? Hey, I'm all over social media. So there you go. You can easily find me there. Uh, my website is www.johnverico.com. Uh, and my email, john at johnverico.com. So I'm not hiding out there, right? Uh, john Verico on LinkedIn, Jay Verico on Twitter, uh, John Verico Speaks on Facebook, uh, John Verico on Instagram. I'm, I'm out there. Um, I will tell you, it's easy to find me. Once you find me on social media, hopefully you'll want to keep staying with me. And the reason why is because every month I put out a challenge. Oh. Uh, so I put out a calendar at the beginning of the month. And it is like, so this is June when we're recording this. And so for June, it is the month of adaptability. 
And so every day is a little nugget about dealing with change. And so every day there's a little challenge for you on taking a new perspective on facing change. And so every month I put out this calendar and every day I put out a new post that helps to elaborate on, on those, uh, those things. So I encourage you. And if you're curious about my calendars, they're all free. They're on my website. Go to the resources page on the website and you'll, you can download all the calendars. There's also all the audio from a radio show I did uh, back at the beginning of COVID. Uh, I did eight months. So there's like 30 some odd episodes Wow. Okay. Um, uh, of a radio show I did with business talk radio. Okay. Um, there's all sorts of resources. There are a couple of motivational posters you can download uh, and all of that stuff is free. But yeah, certainly reach out to me any way, shape you want. And my phone number, you just call me. At 240-257-NERD. <laughs> I see it right here. I just two noticed four, it. 240-257-6373. Boy, how time has changed from 30 years ago, right? Nerds was a bad thing. Now they're the coolest thing ever, right? Yeah, right, yeah. You know, embrace your nerdness. That's, that's right. That's absolutely what it is. And I was just talking to somebody the other day about that, too. You know, when you were a nerd in high school, it wasn't so good. Now it's like everybody and their grandmother wants to be a nerd. <laughs> yes. Well, that's awesome. And, and again, that's John Verico, J-O-H-N-V-E-R-R-I-C-O.com. John, thank you very much for your time. It really was a pleasure. We're definitely going to have you back because there's other things that we got to get into that, that well, we, yeah, we, you know, we didn't touch on today. At the very, very top of things, yeah. I'm going to, to say, you know, you talked about the, about magic very briefly. And, yeah, I've, I've learned a little bit of magic, and I, and I, I do incorporate magic and other interaction yeah. in, my, in my workshops and programs. And I do that specifically for a reason because inside each of us is still really a child, and we want that wonder. Yep. Right. And you learn more when you are inspired and, and you're and you're you're fired up, so to speak. You know, so so the whole thing of what I try to do when I throw a little magic out there is just to keep keep people thinking like a child, open up that that mind to learning something new uh, and just to take a fresh approach to the world. So do it one more time. That, Come on, do it one more time to fire. But you got to just, just like just reach out and go. <laughs> it's freaking awesome. <laughs> I really wish people could see that, man. It is so cool looking, man, dude. <laughs> you definitely got my inner child going because I, it, it's, it's, it's. Once you got fire coming out of your hands, brother, I'm on board. Just don't burn the whole <laughs> building down. That's a lot of paperwork for HR folks. Well, you know, it's not always a big flash. Sometimes it's just a really, you know, it's just a really small glow that just. Dude, what did I see? I really wish you were videotaping. Was that a fire on pause? Did you pause the flame? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I gotta have you in the studio. No, are you kidding me? I can't have you in the studio. My wife would kill me. You burn the place down. So, okay. All right, folks. <laughs> John, thank you very much for your time, brother. We'll definitely Ricky, keep in been touch. Awesome. All right, man. Thank have you, a good friend. one. We'll talk again soon. All right. All right, Ricky. Thanks for throwing it back to the room right here. That uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, you know, his time in the Navy is pretty intriguing, and uh, I definitely got. I, I got a vibe like it was maybe a little bit more David Blaine than than David Copperfield. I don't know. You know? <laughs> got it. Well, you know what? He's got his own style, right? It, it, it's uh, so he does a really good job of capturing everybody's attention um, at, you know, at a conference where trying to get the attention of adult learners is pretty difficult, right? So he does a really good job at it. Um, but hopefully, actually, not hopefully, we are going to hear from him in the future. Magic. It's magic. You get that contract signed is freaking magic. <laughs> magic is Johnny's magic. It is time for Who is Events? 
Current events this week is brought to you in part by Johnny's Magic Candy. It is not. <laughs> I thought he owned a candy shop. He, he does ha- not does not own a candy shop. John's got Although the he'll candy be very good shop, right? Is something Ooh, like that. There you go. We right? already got the theme song for him. All yeah, right. that's right. Johnny's Candy Magic is uh, brought to you in part by the Ricky Baez Company, where we ride little ponies into the sunset. Your first story today is coming up from Sipos.org. That's P-S-Y-P-O-S-T. Title of the article here is Psychologists Conducted Several Experiments on Giving and Receiving Feedback. They were shocked by some of the findings. That's the full title of the article. You'd swear as long as it is. This may even be a course that's taught at Harvard. Who knows? But it was written by Eric W. Dolan, uh, dated June 7th. If you don't know who Eric Dolan is, then you don't know who the author of this is. And that's fine. We're just going <laughs> to, <Okay. laughs> of course, we're just going to give you a little blurb out of this. And uh, Ricky will chew on it, spit it back to you. And then and then you get a chance to Google it and, and find the article. Once again, psychologists conducted several experiments on giving and receiving feedback. They were shocked by some of the findings by PSY Post, SciPost.org. Quote, we decided to conduct this research because we were really interested in better understanding the situation that so many of us have faced, where we look in the mirror and we realize that we have a stain on our shirt, where we hear someone say a word and realize we've been mispronouncing it for the longest time. Kind of like the word niche or niche. Got it. Niche, whatever. The overwhelming question people have in these scenarios is, why didn't anyone tell me? Explain study. Author Nicole Abiesper. A doctoral student in organizational behavior at Harvard Business School, and the researchers first conducted a field of study at college campus to examine people's propensity to give constructive feedback. And only 2.6% of participants informed a research assistant of a visible smudge on her face. The assistant even verbally asked the people several questions before administering a survey to ensure that they looked at her face. So this pilot study, quote, our pilot study definitively surprised us. We asked a research assistant to give out surveys in a busy campus center with a big, obvious chocolate or lipstick mark on their face. Out of 212 people that agreed to take a survey, 155 people indicated that they saw something on a face, which was one of the survey questions. But only four people actually told her about it, end quote. So the researchers then conducted a series of five experiments involving 1,984 participants to measure how much people underestimated others' desire for constructive feedback. There's a ton of information in this article. And long story short, what they find is a lot of times people are scared. In line with the previous experiments, however, participants underestimated their even partner's desire for feedback. So even if you feel hesitant to give feedback, What they're recommending in the article is that you give it. The person most likely wants it more than you even realize. And if you're hesitant about giving the feedback, take a second and imagine that you are in the other person's shoes and ask yourself if you would want feedback if you were them. And most likely you would. And this realization can help empower you to give them feedback. Again, this is authored by Nicole Abby Esper, Jennifer Abel, Juliana Schroeder, 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 and Francesca Gino, written by Eric Dolan. Amazing piece. Fantastic. Very bigly. Ricky, to you. So it's, I have this conversation more often than not with my clients uh, and, and their team, right? Not necessarily the people I'm talking to, but the people who report to them. And one of the questions that I ask is, 
how comf- on a scale of one to ten, how comfortable are you in giving your boss constructive feedback? Now, they say pretty high up, yeah, I am, I am free, I do feel comfortable in doing that. But what happens is when I continue to ask more questions and going through my whole process, I find that that's not the case. They're just saying that just to to say it. Action does different. So here's what happens. This is a two-way street, right? So if you are an employee who wants to give some feedback to your, your leader, you have to do it in a way that it is constructive and it's not pointing at them um, personally and just help them out in that process. Now on the leader side of it, You have to create an environment where people are comfortable coming to you with difficult conversations, with difficult issues, right? And you could know that off the top of your head, or maybe there are some things you do that you're not aware of that you create an environment where people are nervous. So conversations like this, that kind of an article is helpful the key, but that's in theory. The key is to actually go into an organization and make sure that everybody in that organization have the tools that they need to be able to have those kinds of tools, difficult conversations. Tools, 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 tools. Ah, ah. It's buzzword crap to me. It's crap. It's, it's crap. And how, here's, here's, why, here's why I'm saying it's crap. And here's why I say mm-hmm. it's buzzwordy. I think you're saying all the right things. Like if I'm sitting in a classroom, you're saying all the right things. And you are not wrong. You are not wrong, but I, I want to springboard with that for a second. I, I, I want to go to a different place with you on on this topic. Okay. And it's all about building that culture, right? Okay, so you you touched on it. You brought it up in the beginning, but I think that that a lot of times people that hear stuff like this and hear you say it or hear other people say, come on, people hear it all the time. They gloss over the fact. Yeah, they do. They gloss over that initial fact. You have to build the environment. You have to reach the point where you're, constructing a world where people feel comfortable to talk to you, where it's okay to bring things up constructively. If, if Okay. I understand virtual is virtual. Imagine yourself in the same room, you and me mm-hmm. in the same, not mm-hmm. you, not you. Hushy Rick, me and the listener, me and the listener, <laughs> Got it. you and me, we are in the same room. It's okay, Rick. You don't have to be quiet. You can talk. It's fine. So we're in this. Okay. Ricky and I are in the same room with you. You just walked in the room and your collar is sticking up and it looks really weird. Do we, A, look at you and say, hey, go get him on stage. You're going to do great. Do we, B, say loudly in front of everybody, what the F is wrong with your shirt? Where'd you get dressed? In your car? Or do we (laughs) say, C, Pull you aside, fix it gently, and say, hey, do I look okay, too? Ricky, what do you think is the right answer? So just you and I having this conversation, definitely be, right? Because you and I can take that. But for everybody else, obviously see, right? You want to help that person out, except especially if they're about to go on stage in front of a lot of people and appearances are just as important in what you say. You pull that person aside and say, hey, just want to help you out here, buddy. Boom, 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 boom. Here I'll tell you, you go. what, I'll tell you, you what, not go. even going on stage though, just anything in life, right? Like, like why not have that? Same courtesy and respect that you have for other people at all times. I don't care if it's like someone you see walking into McDonald's or maybe someone at Walmart. It doesn't matter where it is or what the situation is. Now, you reach a point where it's like, oh, you're that guy. You're bothering me. But hey, if you do it the right way, if you you bring candor to the table and you're sincere and you're really just trying to look someone out, 
I, I, I think you could look someone out in most situations the appropriate way. Am I wrong? No, you could, right? And that's a great example because that will be a perfect stranger. If we're at Walmart and we see a perfect stranger that has like something that's odd looking, I'm not going to lie, JC. I may let that go because I don't know the person. I don't know if they're going to go off on me. I, 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 I just don't know. I'm going to let that piece go. Ooh, oh, you will let your bias influence whether or not you help the individual based on the way that they're their perceived appearance. Everybody does that. Oh my God. No one does that anymore. It's 2022. There's lawsuits on this. (laughs) Dude, whatever, dude. If you, if you and your, if you and me were driving through Compton in your Carmen gear, you're going to bring the top up and you're going to go ahead and, uh, and, uh, and lock your doors. Right now. That's a stereotype. It is a stereotype because why? What do we hear all the time uh, about Compton? All the stuff that goes on over there. I actually have been there. And only one square block really is what you hear on the music and TV and everything. But anyway, back to this, right? Um, that's at Walmart. That's that's a stranger. But the message here for the leaders is you've got to be cognizant of that. You have to be cognizant of how comfortable your employees are in giving you that kind of information that's really personable. So my my thing to the leaders is be aware Make sure you create that environment where people are really comfortable and giving you difficult feedback. Difficult feedback for difficult people. <laughs> Nothing like that, I said. Exactly <laughs> like that. Exactly <laughs> like that. Uh, TheVerge.com. They are a uh, big website, and Russell Brandom wrote an article for them titled Google Contractors Say a Recruiting Company Has Been Systematically Skimming Their Pay. Oh, <laughs> what? So all you little staffing uh, fish out there, take a listen on this one, right? Uh-huh. Guy Milius, a contract employee at the Bay Area, just found out about the issue four months into his job. His co-workers recommended that he check his base job against the contractor's work order. When he followed their advice, he discovered he'd been contracted for 50% more money than what he had been making. He found out that they'd been paying him $20 an hour, but they were telling Google that they were paying him $30.08 an hour. That was in the middle of March. And basically, they've done, they haven't done anything about it. Um, over the six month term at this company, the discrepancy added up to more than $10,000. And they were unaware, is what they're, they're reporting. I'm sorry, go ahead, Rick. Wait, ho- hold on, hold on, hold on. A discrepancy? To so, me, that sounds like business. So it goes on here to say um, the system meant that Milius and his colleagues were officially employed by a company called Artec, even as they were working on Google products as part of teams run by Accenture. But workers say those nesting subcontract agreements open the door for abuse. In theory, Accenture had set the pay rate for each role in a work order document before the hire was made. Many found that the rate of their pay stub was 5 to $10 lower than the specified rate that Google was being charged for, for said employee. And they say here it seems to be a pattern. It's not that this was just an error on the paycheck. Quote, I've personally talked to five or six people who are at Accenture who have had the same experience. End quote. Uh, Google calls it the shadow workforce. Contractors make up a growing portion of companies' workers, including programmers, graphic designers, and human resource employees. 
And because the workers are not officially Google employees, they're often left out of benefits available to official staffers. There's a lot more within this article. It goes no. on and on and on. And anyways, long story short, 5 to $10 across the board. The workers are upset about it. They want the, they, they'd like to see the money in their paycheck instead of it going to uh, the, the staffing fish. But it doesn't work that way. That's why staffing agencies exist. A staffing. So what do you think? The staffing agency do the, the work that they do out of the goodness of their heart? They are a for-profit organization, right? So it's I don't see the issue here. If they wanted to get that full amount of money, then apply with Google. All they have right? to do is, from the staffing fish perspective, just make sure that that pay is more than $15 an hour because that's what the fight was for, right? <laughs> well, I mean, that's a completely different conversation. No, just a don't, for- yeah, just don't drop below 15 and you're good. But I just, I don't see the problem uh, here. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to take uh, a look at that article. I'm missing something here because no, that is the reason staffing agencies exist. They go to a client and they say, I will, I will take care of this job for you for X amount of dollars. And they're going to go and you're find not, somebody to do that. You're not missing anything. The, it, okay. the premise All of the right. article is just them complaining about the fact that they realize that they're contract employees and that there's overhead. That's so all. there's no discrepancy. There's no discrepancy. <laughs> no, welcome, there isn't. Welcome to the big boy world right there. Boom. Right? The big boy, uh, the big person world. The big what? The big person world. <laughs> the big man world. The big man world. No, big no, big person world. Let's be let's yeah. be equitable here. Yes. I used the term big boy world because it was uh, a man represented within the article. So it was, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> your next story is coming to us from Vox.com, VOX.com. Uh, the Supreme Court gives workers a backhanded victory. Southwest Airlines versus Saxon carves out the narrowest exception to one of the court's most egregious anti-worker decisions. As we cover this article, we didn't write it. We don't represent Vox. We don't represent the Supreme Court. We're not lawyers. Everyone listening needs to understand those words. Thank you. This was written by Ian Milheiser. Good job, Ian. (laughs) Okay. In the workplace, forced arbitration occurs when an employer requires its workers to give up their right to sue the company as a condition of their employment. Under the court's decisions in Circuit City v. Adams and Epic Systems v. Lewis, 2001 and 2018 respectively, most employers can order their workers to give up this right under pain of immediate termination. Workers forced into arbitration may still bring any dispute they may have with their employer before a privatized arbitration system, but the system overwhelmingly favors corporate parties. A 2015 study of forced arbitration in the workplace found that workers are about half as likely to prevail before an arbiter as they are to prevail in litigation. As, and, and, and when workers do prevail in arbitration, they're typically awarded about a fifth as much money as a worker who prevails before a judge. <laughs> Shocking. The Federal Federal Arbitration (laughs) Act of 1925 does require courts to enforce some contracts that provide for arbitration, but not employment contracts with forced arbitration provisions. As the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg explained in a 2015 dissent, 
The law was enacted to counter the reluctance of some judges to enforce commercial arbitration agreements between merchants with relatively equal bargaining power. Look, um, this is an extremely long article with a lot of legalese and a lot of good facts in here. But long story short, as I skip ahead towards the end, okay, it's far from clear whether the airline employees, because this does have something to do with airlines and some other stuff, mm-hmm. but it's, it's unclear whether employees, supervisors who oversee the unloading of cargo but don't handle cargo, airport workers who check passengers' tickets, or workers who sell tickets are exempt from forced arbitration. These workers could very well be the subject of future litigation. So that within here, it's going to talk more about like the airline industry and forced arbitration. They lay the base within the article of, it's just too long for me to give you everything, Rick, but long story short, what is in question is are airport workers handling cargo, checking passengers' tickets, and those who sell tickets exempt from forced arbitration? So there's there's a whole thing that's uh, going on with that right there, and uh, it's the transportation worker uh, discussion that's been taking place for a while. If you're familiar with that, I mean, I'm not surprised that the uh, the <laughs> the payout for arbitration is going to be significantly less if you go. I'm sorry, of the issue will be less if you go through arbitration. I mean, that's why a lot of organizations, when you come on board, on top of signing a the uh, the acknowledgement of an employee handbook, somewhere in there should say something that you have to go through arbitration for disputes, things of that nature, because they know what's up. They know if you go out. Um, outside of those realms and you go through the EEOC and you get a right to sue letter and you get an attorney, chances are you're going to get more money out of that. And it's going to be more costly for the employer because now they have to have their attorneys to handle these issues, right? At the end of the day, it's all about dollars and cents. What I don't quite understand is why some employees will be held to that and others won't. Because my understanding is, and again, how you said at the beginning, you're not an attorney. I'm not an attorney, so this is not any kind of legal advice because <laughs> we're not qualified for that. Um, is I would want to understand why it works for one and not the other. So hopefully, we could tag some of our attorney friends um, that we know for the show, and they can respond to this when this goes out on social media. All right, I'm just going to give you some blast on the headlines here real quick. There's so much going on. We don't have time to cover all this stuff. But uh, Time Magazine, uh, just in the past week, human resource workers are beyond burnt out. Amazing article. Give it a read when you have a chance. Um, If you're not already aware on, what was that, Friday, Friday the 10th, uh, the um, USLBM, and they named Wendy Racky, Executive Vice President and Chief Human Resource Officer. Great job, Wendy. Welcome, welcome aboard. Everyone's fantastically stoked for you. And um, just about uh, in the past two weeks, we'll say it that way, NASDAQ put an amazing article forward. And I highly recommend everyone Google this one. It's called, Could the Chief Human Resource Officer Be the New It Role? in the boardroom and it dissects the realm of HR and how HR means nothing, uh, but how now it means everything. (laughs) So if you ever felt terrible about the work that you do, 
don't feel bad. They'll make you feel worse before they pump you up and make you feel great. It's a great article. <laughs> great piece. It's time. Jerks. For Florida <laughs> right? Stories. Florida Man Stories this week is brought to you in part by... Biasco Learning, your one-stop shop for all your human resource needs. If you need training, education, or additional resources to assist with your day-to-day practices, stop by Biasco.com. Florida Man. Oh, my God. (laughs) Finally. Finally, you get it right. Go ahead. Go ahead. And when you sign a contract with them, they'll burn your house down. What do you want me to do? I was being, I'm doing my normal thing. What are you doing? You shocked me. He's no, going to show, you, he's you, gonna show you up. You surprised me. He'll be in a Honda Civic showing up at 6 a.m. <laughs> blasting music really loud. Why are you doing this to me? Oh, my oh, God. That's hilarious. Love it. <laughs> you just shocked the living daylights out of me. You're going to love this one. You're going to love this uh, one. The story is from <laughs> clickondetroit.com for our Florida man story. Okay. <sighs> Brace yourselves. And ladies and gentlemen, if you do not want to hear this, skip ahead five minutes. This is your fair warning. Florida man bitten by alligator after thinking it was a dog. Out of Northport, Florida, a Florida man was bitten by an alligator after apparently mistaking it for a dog in the middle of the night. Earlier this week, a man in Sarasota was walking outside the warm Mineral Spring Motel in North Point. Allegedly, there's a beautiful view of the, the ditch side over there. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, in, after midnight, when he saw a figure moving in the dark, he stated that the figure appeared to look like a dog with a long leash, which is why he wasn't hesitant to move out of the way. A sheriff's office spokesperson told WTSP, deputies said that when the alligator bit his right leg, ripping off a chunk of his muscle as he tried to escape, he realized it was a gator. The man was able to get the attention of a deputy who was in the area for an unrelated issue. And paramedics were called at that time. The man was transported to a hospital and the alligator was later captured and removed from the area. However, the part of the man's leg is still in his belly. Ricky, buys back to you. The Warm Mineral Springs Motel? That's what it's called? I kind of want to vacation there. I want to go to Sarasota. No, I do not. Check that out, bro. No, I do not. Why not? If you... Because if you have people who frequent that motel that cannot tell the difference between a beautiful furry dog and a a dang gator, (laughs) then I don't know. And then what I really want to know is that he finally he got the attention of a deputy who was there for something different. Did somebody else get bit by a gator or somebody else get bit by a dog who thought was a gator? I don't know. There's a lot more to this story. Poor guy. I feel bad, but I don't know how could you not tell the difference between a gator and a dog? I have no idea. Let's let you see life from another perspective. They can expand the mind and awareness. These are inspirational quotes. Let's kick you back. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, inspirational quotes with Ricky Baez, not spoken by Ricky Baez. I'll be taking this segment today. And uh, Ricky, I'll afford you the opportunity to chime in when you're ready. Quote, okay. <laughs> quote, seriously, Amazon, deliver per- delivery person, so many opportunities <laughs> to hide the package and you just left it right in the open. Thank goodness I live in a neighborhood where I don't have to worry about porch pirates. But come on, that's just lazy.
End quote. Amazon replies, We're sorry to hear about any negative experiences. We encourage not including personally identifiable information over social media. If you'd like to delete your tweet, click the V or dot 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 icon at the top of the tweet and then delete your tweet. End quote. Ricky Bias replies, quote, What personally identifiable information is on this picture? End quote. Amazon replies, quote, Just to clarify, you had a moment to set up your delivery instructions? You can find out how to do that here. amzn.to slash 3ARGWCG. Let us know. <laughs> we want to help. Bree. Ricky Bias replies, Just so I understand, if I don't leave specific delivery instructions, the delivery person just leaves it out in the open? UPS seems to understand the risk of leaving a package out in the open and knows how to hide it without instructions. What personally <laughs> identifiable information is in this picture? Amazon replies, We understand your concerns. We consider tracking information, address information, and order details as personally identifiable information. Again, just to clarify, have you set up your delivery instructions with the future orders? We're here to help. Bree. Ricky replies, I would consider that personally identifiable information as well, <laughs> but you can't see any of that in this picture. Good try to get the picture taken down. I see what you did there. I'll set up detailed instructions going forward. It just seems odd to do since it's common sense. Amazon replies, we understand your concerns and you don't have to remove the photo. We just don't encourage sharing personal information over Twitter for security purposes. Who's the official carrier for this delivery? You can find that information here, amzn.to slash NA your orders. Ricky Bias replies, just curious, are you a bot? And he posts a, a what would you post there, Ricky? One of those pictures when you log in somewhere and they're trying to verify you're not a computer oh, and they yeah, ask capture, you to a capture yeah, photo, yeah. a capture photo. One of those, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. uh, a lot going on from uh, from the world of Ricky Bias. Back to you. Look, all I was saying is, and for those two of you, you know what? As a matter of fact, the the um, the uh, cover off of the show is going to be that picture, the picture I posted online. And I got home, and the package that I ordered was so far away from my door that it looks like the Amazon person just crept up the driveway. Here you go. And that's it. Plenty of opportunities to hide that in different places um, in my front door. But the bot or the person who responded is saying, number one, please don't post personal identifiable information, which I did not, which is a ploy to get me to take down the complaint, quote unquote. Number one. And number two, they're saying that I have to leave detailed instructions on delivery and to me that just seems like common sense you would want to hide it as much as possible to avoid any issue i don't know it's just it was a miss on that on that specific amazon driver number one number two it's a miss on on brie if it's a human being or the bot because there was just their main concern is trying to get me to take that thing down that's all it was it was just weird it's kind of funny i've never had that issue before 2022 yeah? it's kind of funny like if you rolled the clock back a few decades, you'd be asking yourself, hmm, Bree, is that a guy or a girl's name? But now you ask yourself, huh, is that a person or a robot? 
It's, <laughs> it's crazy how the world's changed, right? I, Here we are. I've been I've been fooled before. I don't know if you've seen this. I have seen some some bots that when you apply for a job, they call you or they email you or they send you like an instant message talking to you to see when you can schedule an interview. And I've been fooled because after four or five emails, I'm like, whoa, this is not a human being. So they're really intuitive. The AI is learning. And every time, every Every interaction with a human being, it keeps learning more and more and more. And I envision a time in about five, 10 years where it's going to be extremely difficult to tell the difference whether you're chatting with a bot or a human being. It, it's, it's going to happen, JC. <laughs> you're a funny man, Ricky Baez. I couldn't tell if that, that was a robot. It sounded like a real person. <laughs> I know some human so beings that do tell. talk like that. So yeah, it could be really hard to tell. It's super hard to tell, dude. <laughs> what language is that? That was Russian. You're a funny man, is Ricky Baez. Yeah. Is that what it was? Oh, got it. Was. I need to learn Russian. Got it. No. No, you well, maybe you do. Why can't I learn Russian? I want to learn Russian. You bent in man, Ricky Baez. It, these Spanish? are people that just keep stepping up to the mic. <laughs> these aren't even robots. I, I don't know what to tell you, Ricky Baez. It's crazy. Uh, you Amazon, don't even know. Yeah. Get your ship together. So what I did there? Ship. <laughs> Ever seen that? No. <laughs> Commercial from I, Sears. <laughs> I haven't. I ship my pants. <laughs> I'm shipping my pants right now. I love that commercial. <laughs> it is such a great job. No, it's Kmart. That's what it was. It was, it was Kmart. Kmart. Yeah. I can ship my pants right now. Yes, you can ship your pants right now. The whole <laughs> commercial was that way. It was great. I loved it. Oh, right I love it. I love it. It's that time. It's the end of the show. Time for final thoughts. Hang on. Third and ten. Third and ten. Bills on the 20-yard line. Ricky Baez, over to you. They're playing? Oh, Dude, yeah. that so, train horn, if you've ever been to the stadium, that train horn is the the essential sound effect of Buffalo, I'm telling you. I miss it. I cannot wait to get up there this year. Hopefully, you're, you're getting tickets, right? We got to do this this year, brother. Yeah, we all we have to do is pick which game you want to go to. I don't have seasons anymore. So. Veterans Day weekend game, that one. That's the only game I want to go to. Um, look, final thoughts. Um, folks, Was that? Ah, oh, okay. I like this. I like this. So, final thoughts. Here's what's going on, folks. Talk to John today. He really cares about making sure leaders are influential in the office and making sure employees are working in an environment where they can use their talents and they can be fulfilled in their career aspirations, whatever that is. That said, John should not be the only one who cares about that. That is everybody's responsibility. If you are in a leadership position, you do have a responsibility to ensure your employees are fulfilled in their career aspirations. That's all I got to say. I like the new background music. Yeah. I hope you can afford it. I can't. 
So that's fine. <laughs> that's right. It that's is what fine. it is. That was just your uh, your little thirty second educational and informational promotional opportunity. That's right. That's what that's that right. was right there. Um. With that being said, ladies and gentlemen, you know like I do, it's been our pleasure to be here for you. On behalf of the magician John, what's John's last name again? Verico. He's more than a magician, by the way. Magician John, <laughs> more more than a magician. Journey's yes. gonna write a song about him one of these times. <laughs> <laughs> John, just laugh with me, brother. Semper Fi. We're all part of the Navy. Uh, you know, right. you know the old joke, though. You know the old yeah. joke. We'll just leave it right there. So on behalf of uh, Ricky Bias, Biasco Learning, and the entire team here at uh, Biasco LLC, it's been our pleasure to be back here with you, for you, and by your side. We bring things to the table with a face of humor just to capture your attention and try to get you to stick around. But part of this all comes down to you finding uh, finding the desire to continue your education and research. Whether or not you're doing that on your own or you're doing that through contracting services of someone like Biasco Learning, that's entirely up to you. This is not a hard sell by any of the stretch of the imagination. Most of you listening do your own trash anyways, and you're really good at it. Keep it up. Just don't screw up. And if you do... Understand there's a community by your side. There's a network of professionals here happy to help you out. So with that being said, I'm JC. That's Ricky Baez. Drive safe. Have a good night. Oh, yeah. And stop by uh, BiasCoWarships.org. There we go. What's there it called? What's the website? Biasco.com. Biasco.com. There you go. Whatever the name of it is. Stop by that thing. Thank God this is over. I can get a taco now.